All right, everybody, this is Sean Sewick and Gearmit.com podcast. Super excited today to have Kyle Miller, all the way from Finland. So this is going to be a really fun, fun uh, chat. Kyle's been, um, I want to say, an idol of mine and probably a lot of other people out there in the world. I know. Well, yes, very much well-deserved. So um, well, thank you. my pleasure. Uh, so a little background on Kyle. He's a professional snowboarder, splitboarder, world traveler. He has a website worth checking out. Um, where is Kyle Miller? <laughs> it's a great name for a website. Um, in there, he goes over a lot of what he's accomplished as far as um, adventure, and he has interviews and trip reports and just a bunch of cool stuff. But um, Kyle, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Uh, before we get into it, I should state that the naming of Where is Kyle Miller had nothing to do with ski touring. It was actually me skipping out on ski school. So my boss, <laughs> around ski school is like it's a powder day where is kyle miller so it just randomly fell out that it became a ski touring website that is hilarious and i love that that's uh you're just skipping out of uh, teaching i love it <laughs> where is kyle miller he's so reliable <laughs> oh how funny so you know I was, I was reading up on you um so you have a background in teaching then so did you instruct ski or snowboard lessons uh, yeah, actually was a snowboard instructor at Crystal Mountain in Washington State, oh, probably for about five years. Mainly it was the dirt bag ski bum trying to get a season's <laughs> pass for a super cheap price. Absolutely. And the price was right, so I was willing to donate the time. I could dig that. Uh, I have friends that work at Crystal, uh, Reed Pittman, and uh, I like that part of the, of the country. Very oh, yeah. pretty up there. Well, is, thank is you that- very much. Well, thank you. Um, is that where you grew up? I mean, you have an accent. I was wondering if you are originally Scandinavian or did you grow up in Washington? Well, one could say my family came from Finland three generations ago, but <laughs> and raised in America, that's for sure. Wonderful. I was born and raised in Seattle. Okay, cool. A fun, yeah. fun town. Well, that's Sometimes. cool. Sometimes, yeah. You know what? Honestly, every time I go out there for the Baker Splitboard Festival, for, for yeah. reference, here in Denver, it's very sunny. Like, it's almost always sunny, right? Yeah. And um, I go out to uh, Seattle or, or Glacier for the, the Splitboard Festival, and if it's cloudy for more than two days in a row, I am just crap, crap mood. <laughs> so I know how you guys... Washington then, my friend. <laughs> I, I wouldn't last more than a week. I know that. Yeah. Oh, um, hilarious. But the terrain out there is so beautiful. Um, it's, it's just wonder here in Colorado, we don't have that kind of maritime snowpack or the waterfalls or the jungles that you have back in, in Washington state. It's a beautiful natural resource. Uh, very fortunate to have uh, both volcanoes as well as mountains. So the season literally goes from November until July and uh, June and July are amazing parts of the season. Like some of my favorite times or that, when everywhere else they put the skis away. Yeah. Oh, wow. So out in Finland, June and July, that's where it's at. <laughs> Not in Finland, that's no. for sure. <laughs> oh, back in, in, uh, in Washington State. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. No volcanoes, no oh. mountains. <laughs> I was like, I wasn't aware of those in Finland, but I trust I you. I there, my friend. <laughs> I've looked at the maps and I've tried to find them. No I, believe, I believe you would find them. Oh, that's cool. Um, I'm going through some of your, your traverses out back in uh, Washington. I can't comprehend them all. Your, your hit list is just overwhelming. Where, where do you get your ideas to do your missions? Uh, topographical maps and Google Earth, pretty much. 
and just nice. studying and studying and studying and being like, whoa, if we ski down here, we get into this valley and man, I got to ski that line on the next mountain. So I got to climb up that other side to get to it. And wow. uh, yeah, just basically coming up with them out of my head. Um, have them that's basically what I would do, especially uh, ski mountaineering is have a list of different styles of traverses that I'd like to do and then be like, oh man, we've got a week of good weather this is the time to pull it off. It's time to get out now. Because as you know, Washington, I mean, to have three days of good weather, like mm-hmm. it's solid. Yeah. So, hey, that makes sense. Wow. So self-reliant, it's all on you. Yeah, definitely. Without a doubt. It's just coming up with creative ideas. Uh, especially the in the beginning, I was working with a skier a lot, my friend Jason Hummel. And it was kind of a mixture of be like, hey, Hummel, what do you think if we go over here and then ski this and this? He's like, but we could traverse two kilometers across this mountain to get to the next one. And over time, I grew up and I was like, no, I'm going to climb up this and ski down this, then climb up this and ski down this. He's like, I'll do it, but I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good partner. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. His name's popped up a few times now. I should probably look into him. Uh, absolutely super talented uh, photographer as well as a good friend. That's awesome. Well, I'll, I'll look into him for sure on your recommendation. Yeah, thank you. Well, okay. So I'm a gear freak. I'm assuming you're a gear freak too. If it doesn't break, then I'm definitely a gear freak. Absolutely. Do you break a lot of stuff? We break a lot of stuff over here. Oh yeah, of course. That's <laughs> what I became famous for was doing Sufferfest and breaking my gear halfway through the Sufferfest. Oh yeah. So you, you're like type three fun. We're like type one, type type two fun over here. Yeah. Sometimes I am type three fun for sure. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I, you know, in the back country, things always break. Um, what are your go-to repair kits for things? Like, I mean, what do you always carry in your kit? Mm, simply duct tape and volley straps. Boom. There it is. Yeah. What else do you need? <laughs> I, I couldn't, I was hoping you had some kind of secret thing in there. <laughs> That's what we all carry too. Uh, gorilla tape and fillet straps. They get oh, the yeah. job done. Oh, that's awesome stuff. Well, so I have a lot of questions, like a lot of questions about how you plan out your, your big missions, what gear you take, um, and what, what food you take. Well, uh, it matters what location I'm in and like uh, what environment. So say, for instance, I've been going to Norway for the past five years. Mm-hmm. And whenever I went to Norway, a hamburger will cost you $40. So I would always bring dehydrated meals and Cliff Bars. And I would live off of Cliff Bars and dehydrated meals for like a month straight. It'd be yeah. the same meal day after day after day after day. And uh, yeah, a lot of the time it was dehydrated meals i was fortunate to get them for pro form back in the days and uh, cliff bar was kind enough to uh give me all their expired cliff bars and so i would live off of those that's a good plan i respect that well thank you well you know i I live off of expired four points bars it's a local uh, nutrition bar here in colorado and uh, my friends kevin and pat started them and they're really good bars i'd love to send you some and they don't freeze in the winter which is why i got behind them Yeah, so uh, break a tooth. But yeah, all the ones I get are expired. Not bad. They're just oh, no, can't sell yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, totally understandable. And it's a good way to get rid of it because that's yeah. free calories and calories cost money. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
especially in the mountains and in the cold. I mean, I'm sure you more than anybody I know would know how much more calories you need in the mountains, you know, burn through them like crazy. Yeah. Quick bars and bacon, man. Bacon. Never talking. (laughs) Bacon. (laughs) I love it. Oh, that's great. All right. So we got the food part down. What about, um, other gear? How big of a backpack would you carry? Again, depending on, on the average mission. Okay. Well, the wildest thing I've ever gotten away with was doing a seven day solo ski traverse on a 30 liter backpack. Yeah. That's that's really wild. I carry a 40 liter for a day trip. I overpack. (laughs) I normally do as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That is hardcore. Seven days, 30 liters. Seven days, 30 liter backpack. Were you just living off of the berries and rodents or how do you do this? No berries, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Berries are only in the summertime, right? Yeah, uh, but for the most part, 40-liter backpacks, they seem to be like the perfect size. Mm-hmm. And it's just all about stuffing every square inch of space with, uh, with stuff in it and just cramming as much as humanly possible. Sometimes I'll take a dry bag and I'll connect it to the side of my backpack so that I'll have yeah. additional space there. But yeah, like I've always gone off of 40-liter uh, backpacks and 30-liter backpacks. Cool. And those, I feel like those are great backpacks for for shredding too they're not unmanageable they're just great and uh, yeah the perfect size i like i like to joke there's a thin line between badass and dumbass (laughs) (laughs) and i've been balancing that for uh, quite a while (laughs) oh yeah no i i think most tours i go on um yeah there's one or the other or both and i've been both many times and um i don't know about you but i I like to i find some reward in overpacking to be the hero and like prepare to crap on the trail and like but then it happens to me, like the last tour I was out with uh, Scott Yorko. You know Scott Yorko? Yeah, I do. Very nice guy. Yeah, very nice guy indeed. Absolutely. Him and, him and Lily, the little beagle. Oh, Every, yeah. yeah oh, she's so cute, right? Every Christmas or the day after Christmas, which is my birthday, we go out for a tour. And it's usually just him and I and the dog. And have a great time. And either Lily will charge down the mountain or, or he'll put, him, put her in his backpack and snowboard down. It's super entertaining. I'll try yeah, to find definitely. a video for that. Um, but for, I'm just dog. <laughs> I know she's the most badass backcountry dog out there. She needs her oh, own Instagram yeah. page or something. Yeah. But um, out, we were out touring on last Saturday, and I I I biffed it, dude. I hit a rock so hard, my GoPro flew off my head, and like another camera flew out of my backpack, and my I took a core shot to the board. It was pretty, and then we we like had to go through a creek and type two fun for sure. Just wet boots and just like we gotta get back to the truck, get some food. <laughs> But it was, it was a good time. That was like most of my tours. <laughs> right. That's, that's what Scott said, too. He's like, this is how I split board. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a Yvonne Chouinard saying, right? I don't know if I 100% agree with it. Um, adventure starts when things don't go according to plan. Mm, yeah, it's somewhat true. I like to say that one, one mistake is acceptable. Three mistakes, you're going to get killed. Now that, I can get behind more. And I was talking to Eric Larson on the last podcast, and I brought up that quote. And he doesn't like it at all. And I, and I, I know why. And I think you know why too. The amount of planning that goes into your trips. My trips are like little trips. The amount that goes into your trips, you're trying to take care of every possible thing, right? And so like you said, one thing goes wrong, volley strap. Two things, uh, you, know, you know, something bad. Three things, horrible. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. And nobody's going to save you in the middle of nowhere, my friend. <laughs> no, <laughs> they are not. Absolutely. Uh, good call. Um, I have so many questions for you about gear, um, but I don't want to bore you. Well, tent-wise, what do you, uh, two-person, one-person, bivy, how do you do, what kind of tent? 
Uh, well, it matters the situation. Uh, mm -hmm. Usually, if I know that it's going to be absolutely beautiful weather and I'm out for a few days, I won't even bring a tent. I'll just dig a hole into the snow and then put my sleeping pad down and then sleeping bag. Uh, if the weather is questionable, we'll bring a tent. I like to say it's summertime, you can get away with two people in a two-person tent. But if it's wintertime, you need to double. So if mm -hmm. you're by yourself, you need a two-person tent. If you're uh, with two people, you want a four-person tent. Three people, you can do the four-person tent, but everyone's going to hate each other when they get outside to go take a piss in the morning. Yep, so yep. The space is definitely vital during the, during the winter. I, I like that answer. I mm -hmm. um, Personally, I like a two-person tent for me or mm -hmm. me and my dogs. Like tonight, I'm going camping with my dogs and two-person tents, what we do. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we love camping over here. My my dogs are so spoiled. They get out once or twice a week to camp year round. You are so fortunate, my friend. Thank you. I consider myself fortunate too. <laughs> and uh, my wife uses those nights to catch up on whatever bad movies she wants to watch. So everybody wins. You are even more fortunate, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of failure, failing forward, figuring this stuff out. Um, a single wall tent or double wall tent? Uh, always double wall tent. Like cool. usually it's a, a tent with a, like just a meshing on the inside and then like a rainproof fly on the outside. So that ventilation goes through quite well because as you well know, like camping moisture will get stuck in the tent. So I think it's very important to have a breathable tent. I, I agree with you very much so. Yeah, I, I like single wall tents because of the smaller pack space, but oh, if they start to wet out, game over. Then it's like snowing in your tent. That's <laughs> just horrible. I think uh, I got stuck in a storm where we were in a single walled tent on the top of a peak, stuck for three days, and the single walled tent wasn't big enough for me to fully stretch out. And ever since then, I always go for a little bit bigger of a tent. I dig that. Yeah. You don't want to be touching the walls of a single wall tent. That is just <laughs> wet business. For sure. Yeah. Um, well, sleeping pad, uh, closed cell foam, or uh, what kind of pad do you use? Um, uh, I mean, for the past 10 years, I've been a huge uh, connoisseur of the Thermarest Neo Airs. They're yeah. loud, but they're amazing. They are. You're sleeping on potato chips, but you're tired. You'll, yep. Go to, yep, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, uh, you drive the person next to you kind of crazy, but <laughs> you're happy with it. Oh, for sure. It gets the job done. Yeah, we, I, I, as product testers, we get to work with Thermarest and MSR quite extensively. And they're very, they're very cool companies to work with. Oh, and, yeah. It's been an honor to work with them. Um, I mean, I was trying, for the most part, to be focused on Pacific Northwest companies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, they were a 20-minute drive away from my home. So Oh, exactly. Please give me a stove. Please give me a stove. <laughs> what are you going to do for us? I'm going to break it for you. That's right. <laughs> I would guarantee to break it. Their stoves are great. I should have mentioned that it did not break. All oh, the stuff did not break. <laughs> oh, sweet. Well, yeah. For I, the most part, now that I think about it. <laughs> for the most, yeah, exactly. I know um, we sent one out to uh, the jungles of somewhere in South America. And we, the gentleman, Drew, he's a really cool geologist. He rocks, man. He's cool. He went down there on some kind of like humanitarian effort and he was trying to burn different kind of fuel. It wasn't like the isobutane. He was like, I don't know, tree sap and tequila. I don't know. He's trying to burn, right? But the nozzle wasn't correct. The nipple, the nozzle. So, yeah, yeah. and that's important stuff. And, you know, 
well, yeah. It, it was not uh, broken. It was user error, but it works fine now. Little things uh, we learn. Oh, sorry, what were you saying? Oh, little things we learn on adventures, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to tell you a horror story. I've got quite a few of those. Um, Please, one time please. I took my uh, NeoAir on a 16-day ski traverse. And the first night when we got to our camping spot, I realized that there was a hole in it that I couldn't find. And Ooh. so for the next 16 days, I did not have an inflated NeoAir. Still stayed warm, but it's not inflated at all. Oh, I hope you got a massage when you got back in town. I've never had a massage in my life one day. <laughs> one day for Kyle's yeah. birthday. He'll get a massage. Nope. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, you're right. That Mylar Reflective does help keep the, the, the heat from being robbed from your body, but I'm sure it wasn't comfortable to sleep on it. No, not at all. No. Yeah, those can be a pain in the butt to repair in the field too, especially cold and not looking for it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've definitely, I think every brand we've worked with, we've broken their sleeping pads. Yep. Mm. So it is how it goes. Yeah, it's part of the life to make camping even more miserable. Amazing, <laughs> but a little bit more miserable. Oh, absolutely. Well, speaking of camping, are there any things that you always have on you when you're camping that are just like necessities to make your life better? Oh, and uh, one day, everybody write this down. Tea candles, you put them in a little like uh, metal container mm-hmm. and you put tea candle there and then you can take your boots and put it on top of it put your uh, boots over it and when you light that tea candle the heat goes up into the boot and it actually dries them out so the next day you'll have dry boots game changer i'm gonna try that tonight oh man thank you make sure to take the insoles out though (laughs) that's a good (laughs) i would have forgotten and i would have had a carcinogenic insole fire in my tent so take the insoles out and then tea candle over your boot yeah yeah uh yeah so you take your boot out of the shell take Mm -hmm. the shell or not the shell but the insole part not the insole but the liner and then you just put the liner over it and then you just lay it on top of there have the candle go and the heat goes up into it and dries it right out Oh, that's great. Warm boots in the morning, just light it up like 10 minutes ahead of time, and then you'll have super nice warm boots to jump into in the backcountry. That is so awesome and cost-effective and helpful and potentially frostbite-saving. Yeah, that's definitely. Really helpful. <laughs> and you can get tea candles anywhere. That's the great thing about it. Right. You don't need a voltage yeah. converter. It's a tea candle. Yeah. Oh, I dig it. Um, well, okay, what got you into snowboarding? Oh, man, not to get too sappy or anything, but uh, I was a huge video game person growing up. Uh, Pretty much my life was dominated by video games and television until I was about 19 years old. And uh, I was involved in a car accident where I watched another person who was in the car, in front of our car, who was my next door neighbor. I watched her bleed to death. Oh. And I watched her die right in front of me. And uh, it, I mean, it totally gave me uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, for the next six months, a year, I was absolutely beating myself up over it. And somebody introduced me to snowboarding. And um, it was a way to focus on the moment compared to dealing with all the stuff that was going on. And basically, I just started running away from my problems full time. And uh yeah, that's how I got. So I didn't even start snowboarding until I was 20 years old. Wow. 
Um, Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story. That is, um, I can relate. I watched my brother die in front of me and it helped me go into fitness. So like I made that, that pivotal turn from working in a, in a day job, a corporate job, not a bad job, but going into fitness. And that was my way of getting back into health and taking care of myself and my mind. And so, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thank you. It just shows how uh, delicate we are and how life can seriously change in a matter of seconds. Absolutely. So make the best out of your life because you only have one and it could change any moment. Very, very wise and very true. Thank you. Yeah. And that, and I hope, and I know a lot of listeners will resonate with that because a lot of people I've talked to in the show have lost somebody very close to them. Um, neighbor, siblings, parents, uh, spouse. And I always like to ask that question, not to get deep and make them hurt again, but to find out what their coping mechanisms were to pursue the passions that they enjoy. And so every one of them has one like that. Yeah, I think it's a rampant thing in the snowboard or the outdoors industry. I think a lot of the people who are out like climbing mm-hmm. are dealing with these things and that's the way that they learn how to deal with them. I would definitely agree with that, Kyle. Uh, it's very well said. I don't know about yeah. your your tours, but most of my tours I go on, it's like there's tears on the tour. We're talking about some heavy stuff and working through like mountain therapy, you know? Oh, and definitely. Yeah, that's that's where we go to heal for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I can definitely relate with that. So I appreciate you sharing that with me. So you started when you were 20 years old. Yeah, 20 years old. <laughs> That's pretty late. late. <laughs> yeah, just a little late. <laughs> but uh, not too late. Look at what you're doing. It's awesome. Yeah. So um, how long until you started teaching? Mm, I think it was the next year because I realized how much it actually costed for a season's pass. So it was time to figure something out. Oh yeah, I, 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 how much does a season pass even cost out there in Crystal? I think it's like uh, $1,600 now. Oh, that's a lot. Something like that, or I'm sure that you could, I'm sure it's like an epic pass or something and maybe you can get it early season for 700, but when I first started it was $350 for a midweek pass. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, we definitely have a lucky out here in Colorado and other places because of the Epic Pass and the Icon Pass. They did a good job. I, I don't ride resorts. What am I talking about? I do all backcountry, but I know for the cost effectiveness, it's a good bargain, especially for people who have family and kids and want to stay yeah, safe. And that is a good resource for sure. But it doesn't make sense why you would want to work there and save yeah. that $1,600 for sure. Wow. Oh, this is good stuff. Um, so after, after the, the very traumatic incident, what, what was it about snowboarding that attracted you to it? Like, did you have friends that did it or it just was something that seemed interesting? Uh, well, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she had snowboarded since she was like 12 years old. And mm-hmm. so she's like, we need to get you into something. I'll take you up to the mountain and we need to get you somewhere. And mm-hmm. basically she introduced me to, uh, sp- uh, not snowboarding, definitely. But uh, snowboarding in general, and it was just like, oh man, I can't think about all that other stuff because I'm terrified of catching my edge. <laughs> like, I don't want to catch my edge. Oh yeah, oh, that's man, good. Yeah. How do I stop? <laughs> totally, you have to be present. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's why I love, I, that's why I, that's a good good correlation. You have to be present when you're skiing or snowboarding um, or climbing, I'm sure, or other activities, mountain biking. And uh, like you said earlier, 
there are so many people in the outdoor industry who are or have gone through big, painful events. And their passion is is this kind of outdoor activities. And it kind of drives them. Yeah, it's it's very common. I would say at least 60%. I don't want to throw numbers out, but I would say 60%. I'd concur with that. That sounds at least accurate. Or at least 70%. Let's move this up a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, especially people you and I know, especially probably people you know. I know most Uh, of my uh, friends have been through some stuff before too. So, so, okay, splitboarding. How did you get into splitboarding? Well, I used to commute with somebody to Crystal Mountain pretty much daily. And uh, I think it was like, 2002 my second year he was like hey man i bought this split board thing if you want to hang out and get rides with me all the time you better buy one of these split board things too and i had no idea what a split board was mm-hmm. and, and i was fortunate to know the burton rep he was like hey i've got this dusty thing in the closet that nobody's buying would you be interested in this i'm like hey my friend's telling me i need to get it anyway so yeah i'll definitely do it and uh it was pretty much accidental at first. Wow. Wow. So you, you got a, a, a dusty old Burton split board. Yeah, man. That's awesome. The old interface didn't know how it worked. Still didn't know how it worked for <laughs> two years while I was like learning. Like, yeah. what am I doing, man? Oh, yeah. The interface I started on with, are you talking about the one where you mount your uh, resort bindings on and then put onto the interface and then onto the pucks no i'm talking about like a burton specific uh i believe yeah actually i think you do mount it and then put it onto the bindings itself and it was specifically a burton interface not the bullet interface that's oh gotcha i i had not seen that before that's old school You should check out a splitboard museum, and I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> well, you know, I was over at Never Summer, which is just down the street. I, my wife and I, we live off of Colorado, and Never Summer is off of Colorado on like MLK, so like 15 minutes away. So I was in their warehouse talking with Vince and grabbing the splitboard that I broke last weekend with Scott. And um, in there, they had like a um, uh, 1999, 1998 splitboard, and it was like it was pretty badass. But is it, it was rustic. It's historic. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that splitboards came onto the market in 1994. Touche. I didn't know that. Yeah, 94. Who brought them out? Like, who was the, the person? Oh, I believe it was actually originally through Nitro. Really? And then uh, I got this information from Will at Spark R&D. Oh, yeah. And, uh, he... He, I believe he even has one of those original splitboards, but it was Nitro. And then you saw like Burton and Pryor were pretty much the only companies making splitboards for a long time. And then all of a sudden, a certain Jeremy Jones came out with a deeper, and then bam, every company has splitboards. Oh, of course. Yeah, that was a big explosion. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll have Will on later this month from Spark, and I'll ask him about that board. Get the uh, well, tell him I said hello. I'll be happy to. It, he's great. I love working with him and, and Dan over there. Good people. Wow, very good people. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. So I, after Deeper, everybody wanted to start splitboarding. Uh, yeah, it it's, was weird. It was such a fast transition from us being the only snowboarders and everybody giving us crap to all of a sudden, hey, this is the cool thing to do. <laughs> right. And you're like, wait, what? I've been yelled at for the past like eight years for being a <laughs> splitboarder. And now I'm like, 
I'm the hip guy. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. Embrace that. It won't last forever. Right. Oh, I have not been in as long as you have, but I really have enjoyed being in there in like the early middle part and like, um, everywhere I go, people are like, what is that? You know, I'm like, it's a split board and you give them the demonstration, you know, and here's how this works and what's it ride like? Well, like crap, but it's still fun. <laughs> oh, and you get the option to ski down the hill too, if you want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I, I'm so bad at ski, uh, split skiing. I have friends that are really graceful, like, like ballet level. And I'm just terrified the whole time. I get, uh, I get it done, but I don't like it. Uh, I was fortunate that when I was in Japan, we had a bad season. And so there was an area that I was touring at and every day that I exited, I had to exit yeah, the splitboard and skis. And so I actually got really good connecting my turns, skiing down the whole run after three months straight of uh, going to the same touring spot because it was the only place in snow. Wow. Well, that, you had a consistent uh, run, so you knew how to like mentally prepare for it. And then yep. the tenacity of three months of doing it. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and like, no, no, I'm not transitioning anymore. <laughs> I'm so tired of transitioning. Yeah. I'm just going to ski down this. I give up. Totally. Well, if I'm out with uh, my, my wife when she's snowshoeing her friends who are snowshoeing and we're doing the good, just to, I like to just go around and split ski that way, but you know, not much of a slope. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, I have to, we're doing on level two area out here and almost everybody was like just great skiers. And there's a few of us split waters and, they were like really good. There's like a Navy seal in there. And then there's like me. I'm like, I have to keep up with these people. I'm so like, I'm like the black sheep over here. <laughs> I've got to just yeah. double down on the, on the coffee and make it happen. <laughs> you know, just don't fall in front of these people. Just don't fall in yeah. front of the, Actually the Navy seal fell when uh, we yeah. had to like, yeah, I was like, Whoa, chip come back here. We rescued him. He was, he was all, all good, but yeah. yeah. Adventure, man. I like it. Yeah. Well, this is good stuff. Um, all right. Uh, poles do you like um like carbon graphite do you like metal poles mm, i like poles that last i mean which ones poles, last <laughs> uh, the bd black diamond expedition poles oh good call um i mean i've gone through so many poles i'd say over probably the thing that i destroyed the most was poles and so i went back to black diamond because they just you could beat them up as much as possible and they'd at least last a few months compared to a few trips so right you know i was um scott was joking with me because i have the carbon graphite compactor poles and no. I've had them over a season he's like oh, how'd you last a whole season i know i'm like yeah. i don't usually last a season and then they broke on the next tour i was like well that's it's yeah. because you said that they don't break that's yeah they're like, they're like hold my beer watch this <laughs> yeah, now now I'm like everybody else, broken poles. Yeah. But uh, one of my partners does use the expedition poles, and she she loves them. So that's a good poles. What else? Um, like we could talk gear all day long. But, oh, sleeping bags. What kind of sleeping bags do you like to use for winter camping? Uh, well, I had the fortune that I was sponsored by Eddie Bauer for quite a long time, and mm -hmm. so my closet is full of Eddie Bauer sleeping bags. And cool. So I've been very happy with them. Anything that's down, Eddie Bauer makes really good quality of. Nice. Do you go for like a negative 20, negative 40? Actually, I go with zero degree bag 99% of the time. Nah. Do you layer lightweight. up with like lightweight? Exactly. I always I have a zero degree Mont Bell that I never leave my truck. It's year round. It is always my go-to bag. And I can get that below zero easily by doing 
um, puffy pants, you know, down pants, yeah. down, down booties yeah. and a down jacket. Good to go. Uh, one of the most essential things with overnight camping, down pants. Oh, they're the best. Oh, I, man, they're I mean, I don't know why everybody else doesn't have this as like an essential camping item, you know? Yeah. Um, I have these mountain hardware ghost whisper or something or others and they pack up to, I mean like this size right here. They go wow. everywhere with me. Just like you almost just want to take them with you to a hut somewhere and yes. then just sell them to somebody for twice as much as you got them for. <laughs> <laughs> and then go back home, buy three pairs, go to another hut, sell both the pairs, then buy four pairs. And there. You're the Curtis Mayfield of down pants. That's yeah, impressive. Pusherman. <laughs> I'm actually doing a hut trip with this guy, Jeff Fielder. Um, he was a, a natural photographer, really great environmentalist. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm packing on doing my, my down pants for that trip and probably oh, sleeping right. outside because I, I snore quite a bit. So on wow. hut trips, I like to sleep away from people for their own benefit and mine too. More for everybody else, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> so if we're ever camping and I'm farther away, that's why. Yeah. Staring at the stars and snoring away. That's I'll be sleeping with my igloo. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, man. I, I have yet to do the eagle yet. I um I need to learn that skill set. Be very uh, if you're doing an overnight trip, it's definitely not worth doing an igloo. But if you're staying at somewhere for like a week or so, then mm-hmm. it's definitely an amazing way to go. But it takes a special skill to oh. build igloos. Oh, I bet. Um, yeah. Well, any tips on building the igloo? I've never attempted to build one. Uh, buy an ice box igloo maker because it has the molds for the blocks and then you just move the block, move the block, move the block, move the block. Love it. So you're like an uh, ice, um, what are those people called? An ice mason, like a Freemason, but an ice mason, snow mason. I have become more of one over time. Yeah. Uh, when I was in Japan two years ago, I actually built an igloo on the side of the ski resort halfway up the mountain <laughs> and to save on accommodations, I just slept in my igloo <laughs> for like a week straight. Ski That's patrol awesome. came up and was like, what's going on here? And I'm like, come on and check it out. Come have some fun. Oh, that's so cool. Oh mm-hmm. man. I love your stories. I, I want to hear more about these adventures. Um, Let's see. Uh, did you have any mentors in the snowboard or splitboard community that you looked up to? Mm, well, one could obviously say Craig Kelly. Yeah, Craig Kelly. Kelly was the man, you know, he was a baker local who went and traveled all around the world. But other than that, yeah, I was just kind of keeping my head down, just so busy learning my old stuff that I can't really say that I have any mentors other than Craig Kelly. He's the man. Or he yep. was the man. He's still the man. Mm-hmm. I, I dig it. Yeah, and looking, I mean, I'm going to put a link to your website so people can see, like, you had your head down doing a lot of stuff. So I can see why. You're just, you're out there doing it. So, yeah, so. that was the thing is I was too busy splitboarding to be a part of the splitboarding community. <laughs> yeah, that that is kind of a catch-22, right? Totally a catch-22. It became an issue in my professional career that, you know, I was too busy being out in the mountains for long periods of time to try to get Instagram followers. Oh, the numbers. I, you know, yeah. I, we, I have a lot of friends that are sponsored and I don't envy the amount of uh, resources from them it takes to support that machine, you know? Well, so. like, I'd be lying if I said, um, like, I've had so many situations where I've tried to get sponsorship through a company mm-hmm. and they're like, well, we really like what you're doing, but you don't have enough followers. 
And isn't that so messed up? Because in our world, in our community, you do have followers. You're like, you're very well known internationally, right? But on Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever's going on these days, I, it's just different, right? Yeah, it's just a different world. I mean, I could go on for days about this, but yeah, it, was, it came down to, man, you don't have enough followers. It's not worth, us, worth it for us. So I'm so sorry to hear that. You're worth yeah. it to us. <laughs> well, thank sure. you very much. Not yeah. complaining, just telling it how it is. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I was hired to do copywriting for a van uh, life, which I'm not a van life person. I'm a tent life person. And okay. everybody's comparing their Instagram followings. And I'm like, I don't have a thousand, but I know more than a thousand people in the world. And then I, I have a book I've you know shared on your, your platform before and yeah. you know, YouTube channel with 3 million people and different things to affect people and teach people. Right. Yeah. And to, to me, I rather serve honestly and teach and be authentic than for the gram and get followers and do stories. And it's just, it's a time suck too. That's time oh, okay. I can be spending with loved ones and being outside and playing my dogs. Like my big thing was, is that say if I did die, like in the mountains, I wanted mm-hmm. people to say that I was a genuine person, that I was myself, that mm-hmm. they knew who I was. Like compared to like creating this, like this is who I am. Like, you know, just going over the top and trying to promote something that wasn't me. Yeah. Good for you for coming to that realization. It is a, uh, a lot more people are still stuck in that world. I think of curating this perfect image when life isn't perfect. Right. I mean, far from it, my friend. Far, yeah, far from it for sure. You know, sometimes I'll go to an event or a party or meet people and they'll see, I have a pretty flashy Instagram or used to at least. And people are like, Oh, you're all doing all this fun stuff. And I'm like, honestly, I am, I am doing those fun things, but in the background I'm dealing with trauma and caretaking for parents who have passed and all this other real stuff, right? Oh, yeah. the, the last year or so, I've tried to hopefully um, not bring people down, but bring people into the world and be like, this is actually how what's going on in my life. Not to bum anybody out or to be over the top curated, but like it's a combination and we're all fighting, fighting our own battles. And yeah, and it was always weird because, you know, like, so I'd post this, uh, say a photo of me skiing this amazing line and then you'd get like, oh, you got 300 likes and then it'd be like oh here's what's really going on with me in this world be like oh 20 likes (laughs) right it's the same person you would think they would like everything about you yeah i feel you man it's a tricky balance um but you know the reason this conversation even came out is because your post yesterday and you had hundreds of people reach out right how cool is that yeah in all honesty i was blown away by the kindness of people like uh obviously i needed to I went on a social media blackout for six months and I need to let people know why Mm -hmm. I was silent and hopefully uh, could inspire people to be honest, you know? I hope so too. Like you said, it's way better to be appreciated for being genuine, honest in who you are as opposed to a curator version of who others want you to be. Yeah. Hats off to you, man. Well, thank you very much, my friend. You're welcome. So, um, what do you want to put your time into next? You have a lot of skill sets. Um, oh, man, this is the overwhelming thing. Well, the first <laughs> thing is, I live in Finland. 
And uh, I don't know if you're aware, but it's not a grammatic language. It's not like Swedish or Norwegian or German, which is loosely a straight translation to English. Finnish is its own language, spoken by like six million people, and everything's in code. Every word has like, so like I live in Rovaniemi. You could say Rovanimisa, Rovanimita, Rovanimen. Like every word has 16 different ways to express I was here, I am here, are you coming here? And so um, I'm always around people and I don't know what anyone is saying. So it's easy to feel like an outsider. So my my main priority right now is to uh, understand the language and to be able to communicate in our six million person, like, little code words yeah code words wow that is yeah that's a that's a situation um on a much lesser scale um to relate to that in high school i had a french girlfriend and all of her friends were international foreign exchange students so there was spanish um swiss um some arabic and french and then there's me just this dirt bag in denver i don't know anything but maybe like don't need a tequila in the biblioteca doesn't really help me anywhere. So um, that's tequila is in the library, actually. But anyway, so <laughs> I found it the night before we got married. I had I found a bar in a library and we had tequila. It, it manifested, Kyle. It worked out. Congratulations. Thank you. Friend. It was a decade of manifestation and it worked. But um, I, I can vaguely empathize with how unique of a situation it is for you because you're actually living in that culture. Mm, yeah, people are speaking a foreign language to you, basically. Uh, I mean, my wife's mom does not speak a word of English for the most part. So, wow. Sometimes it's a blessing, sometimes it's a curse. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I bet you, yeah, I bet you're getting good at reading body language. No, I'm amazing at re- reading body language. Good. <laughs> Very helpful. Uh, but, like, say, when it comes to splitboarding, right now I think I need to really focus on teaching people what I learned uh, through my website. Um, you know, tips and tricks, what I was going through. I'd like to write some books and be honest with what my mindset was because everybody sees these trips and they're like, oh man, they were so physically demanding. And they were physically demanding, but the mental aspect of it was so much more of a factor. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's been a handful is an understatement of the times where I've almost died. And you know, once you're in camp that night, you think about that type of stuff a lot. And um, just doing that type of stuff, uh, once my schooling slows down a little bit, I'd like to get back into potentially avalanche training and also potentially go to like splitboard festivals once again and start talking to people. Oh, and, that would be like, great. Just tell people you can do whatever you wanted to. Even if you don't think you can do it, that's the best time to do it. I like that approach. Versus like, I didn't think I was going to pull them off. And, you know, I just had to put my feet in front of me and just go being terrified. But you just got to do it. Yeah. There's no perfect time. You just got to do it. Yeah. Unless it's a pineapple express and raining, then you probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's good. Oh, I dig it. Well, um, I know the world would love to learn more about how you um, see it, how you would teach to people to enjoy it. Um, and yeah. your website's great. And I think that's a great idea to do the YouTube video. Do you have a YouTube channel too, I'm assuming? 
Uh, I don't. <laughs> I need to come up with money to be able to edit videos because my uh, trusty old 15-year-old Mac doesn't exactly work too well. But uh, it is my hope that in the future I'll be able to start doing YouTube videos for instructions. I would, I would be honored to help you in any way with that. I started my YouTube channel with an iPhone. Interview oh, really? Pat, that's it. iPhone, iMovie on here. I'd interview Patagonia, Cody Townsend, put it up okay. on YouTube for free, and then just build off of that. Okay. It, it just, it's as simple as, like you said, a paragraph ago. Just That's a start. Okay, okay. You've changed my mindset. I truly do appreciate that. My pleasure. If I can help you in any way in this path, I'm super stoked. And yeah, the world will be super stoked too. Yeah, yeah that's oh, great. The Kyle Miller YouTube channel is coming alive. This is great. This is how you skin. Low angle. It's got to be low angle, my friend. Yes, exactly. Get those videos up there, man. And I'll, I'll reshare them like crazy and help you out. This will be great. All right. So your website, YouTube. Um, books. Would your books be more about, um, would it be how-to or would it be more about like, like you mentioned, the mindset, the... No, they would be much more probably focused on uh, chapters of my life. Cool. You know, chapters of my life through splitboarding, how I got to this stage and how I got through this stage and then how I got to this stage type things. And I mean, there's always could do uh, like a tips and tricks book, but at this moment, I think I would focus that on the website and mm -hmm. YouTube. And then uh, just, you know, make books about, man, I did this really stupid trick, you know. I can't believe I survived. Yeah. And that type of stuff. Well, I'll buy your first book, man. I, huh. I'd love to read about that. That'd be great. If only you buy the second book. <laughs> I'll buy every book. <laughs> Trust me. Cool. Because I just made 15 books. I'm expecting you to buy all of them. Do you take I mean, they don't have any writing in them, but... <laughs> I can trade you on my wife's malas. She makes good malas. Um, well, I think it'd be really good. I, you know, there's, I don't know any other, very few books out there from a splitboarding perspective of, of that, as opposed to just like the hit list kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we, I mean, if you want hit lists, you can always look at my website. My website, that's what it was, was hit oh, lists. It, it is a staggering amount of hit lists. I, I yeah. still, I've looked at it like 20 times and I still can't process it. It's daunting. Oh, yep. <laughs> yep, I lived it. A lot of writing. <laughs> a lot of writing. Sure. Like, oh, I did the same tour again, same skin track, <laughs> same list. Do I write this down or is it just the same trip 50 times over? <laughs> well, uh, to that point, people make fun of me all the time out here in Colorado because I, I have a very, I don't say narrow, yeah, it's probably a narrow list of my favorite places to go. And they're like, okay, John's going to be at this place, that place, or this place. That's about it. I do yeah. venture out other places, but, you know, I like I like to go to my, my blue zones, you know, my, my favorite places. Uh, I have a secret place in Washington that I've been going to for the years, and I'm like, oh, if I post this online, there may be five other people there. Be like, do I talk about it? Do I not talk about it? Oh, I know it's that. on the website, but... I don't promote it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. That, and then that's the, the power of social media. I started doing, um, they make fun of me because they call me like the mayor of Jones pass sometimes. Cause I'm always at Jones pass even year round camping. I'm going there tonight to camp and uh, really? I do. Yeah. I, I love it up there. So pretty. And um, I started tagging on Instagram where I was and I don't know if it's like uh, me being crazy or if it really did happen, but it 
the traffic there like quadrupled over the years. So it's, oh, yes. yeah. It's also pretty um, ever, but. Uh, a long time ago, I was thinking about making a guidebook for Crystal Mountain, but hmm. uh, I went and I talked to all the locals and I asked them if they were okay with that. And everybody said, please don't do it. And always respect the locals. So I never did make the guidebook. Smart cow. Mm-hmm. Out here we have one, the Gore Range. And people, it's the range we don't talk about. It's oh, really, yeah. yeah, the Gore is pretty cool. My friend uh, Mike runs a private Facebook group for the Gore. and They're a little secretive, you know. And they, like you said, locals, it's their, it's their area. They're not trying to blow it up and make it a hugely available place for everybody. Like, I don't want my tires slashed when I get to the trailhead. <laughs> right, yeah. And that kind of weird behavior does happen. Yeah, rock, that, yeah, yeah. He, he had a rock thrown through his window while his daughter was in the truck when they were sleeping at the trailhead. Totally, totally uncool. I was going to say that's unacceptable, but that means that slashing tires is acceptable. So I'm <laughs> they both suck. This next level. Right. You, endangering other people is just not called for. Yeah, that's I I'm sorry to even hear that. Me too, yeah. It was um an eye opener for sure. Yeah. But yeah, some people get very protective of their stuff. And uh, yeah. it is what it is. Well, I really dig that you're you're wanting to uh share what you've learned, which is a lot of stuff. Um and you have a lot of ways to share it. And of course I'm honored to help in any way to share it. Well, thank um, you very much. It's my absolute pleasure. Um I have a Another question for you. Um, I have a fitness background, so I always try and ask, like, what do what do you do for fitness? Like, what is your <laughs> what is your uh, daily routines or habits, or do you do yoga? Do you do Wim Hof? Since I've stopped ski touring as much as I used to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not out doing a week long ski traverse, burning off every calorie I have. So now I'm eating healthy, going to the gym every morning for wake up at six in the morning and then go to the gym for like an hour and a half, you know, chest and back, arms and chest and all that type of stuff. But beforehand, um, I can express it through a funny story. I was preparing to do a 16 day ski traverse. Um, and this other guy that I was living with was preparing to go to Alaska. He was going to the gym every single day and getting prepared for Alaska while I was just sitting at home eating ice cream. I pulled off the ski traverse and sadly he did not make it to the summits he was looking for in Alaska. I've always thought to have a little bit of body fat just in case something bad happens, then you have days where your body can just eat off that body fat. So like I was never a super slim person. I was always like, well, I need to have body fat just in case, you know, I get stuck out somewhere and, uh, I'll be a much warmer than my really skinny friend over there. Right. No, I like that logic quite a bit. Um, I'm a fitness trainer as well. So a lot of people will approach me for almost aesthetic reasons. Like they want to be really, you know, want a six pack or eight pack. And I'm like, why, why do you want that? And yeah, not in the mountains guys. You don't want that. I mean, I know um, I'm sometimes envious of my friends who are lighter weight. I'm 210. So, you know, a little, I'm pretty dense, but I might, I have a, insulating layer you know so i keep warm yeah. and uh and I, I like it and also i don't get sick i don't get run down uh, i don't get too cranky but uh i watch the other guys who are just beans you know and um they miss a few meals they're done for 
oh man, like, so a few months ago I was in a depression and I was like, okay, how do I get out of this? Well, the first step is healthy body, healthy mind. So yeah. I made a goal to lose 50 pounds. So I weighed 200 and I made, I made it down to 150 pounds. I'm six foot two. So like, that I was, is. it's kind of over the top to say that is, yeah. But to make a smoothie took me 30 minutes. I had to prepare to get off of the couch and I had no energy. I so, don't even know I survived. That's why I was like, okay, I need to gain some weight back. Yeah. And then I can start bulking up. My plan was to get rid of all the fat and then bulk up. But I had lost way too much. I made my goal. I made my, my baggage from the airplane, 50 pounds. And then it was time to move on. Well, you hit a goal, but let's not get you back there again. Yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you learned that lesson. Yeah. Now that's very helpful. And it's good to hear from you too, because um, I try and in my, my mountain fitness courses in the books, I'm like, you know, calories are important in the mountains, especially when they're cold. You're burning more calories than you think. Um, so it's nice to hear from you, a professional, that that is still true. Oh, man. One time I rolled my ankle and I went to the gym for six months straight, got super bulked up. Then all of a sudden it was ski touring season. I lost all that muscle in about two to three weeks. Mm. Like, man, like all this work that I did, that was the first to go. That sucks. Well, it is what it is. I was still enjoying the mountains, so it was still pretty good. <laughs> but well, fair enough. Something for sure. Yeah. Um, I think three or four years ago, I, this is kind of a funny story involving rehabilitation of, of legs. I was eating some pizza or something or fried chicken and I put the plate down too quickly, hit the table and it, it uh, the porcelain plate ripped open my leg. I needed like, yeah, it was gruesome. It's like, it was, it was deep. I won't show a picture, um, but 250 stitches, four layers deep. And um, I couldn't, operate my leg correctly. And, um, I work in a, in a facility that's got two physical therapists and I was like, Marty, one of the PTs, like, I need to be able to squat, dude. And he's like, then just bite the bullet and squat. The stitches aren't going to rip out. So I did. And I don't just squat, butt to the ground. No problem. And like you say, you just got to do it. Just got to do yeah. it. Yeah. It's terrifying, but. Oh, for sure. I was like, all my leg guts are going to come out, but they didn't. It's all functional. Oh. You know, it was like uh, when I did that, sorry, once again, when I did that 16-day ski traverse, mm -hmm. uh, I had a rolled ankle probably eight months ahead of time. And just the mental aspect of, is my leg going to hold up to this ski tour? Should I be doing this? Am I asking for trouble? Like, mm -hmm. you're asking for it. But I was like, okay, well, the only way I'm going to find out is go. And I was very fortunate that my, my ankle held up for the whole trip. I'm glad I did too. That's a heck of a big commitment to go into. Terrifying. With, yeah. I wouldn't have the balls to do that. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate your honesty about that. Um, oh, this has been a lot of fun, Kyle. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Cool. Um, we were joking before the mic was on about the berries in Finland. I love berries. We used to grow like raspberries, blackberries, boysenberries, and um, strawberries back in Omaha where I grew up. What kind of berries are you working with out there? Uh, well, we have blueberries, obviously. They mm -hmm. run absolutely wild everywhere here. And then we have a special type of berry, which is called a cloudberry, that grows up in like the Arctic tundra. And yeah. it's super funny because it's kind of like backcountry skiing at home. 
nobody talks about their spot where they pick them because you have to go out into swamps and you have to pick them one by one by one. And so like people will hide their cars on the side of a trailhead and be like, oh, the cloudberry season hasn't started yet. It'll start in like a week. And like you have one week to get as much cloudberries as humanly possible. So it's just like this absolutely crazy backcountry skiing style mindset. Like somebody's following my car. They're going to find out my cloudberry stash. I need to pull over and let them pass. That is really awesome and entertaining. It's pretty hilarious, that's for sure. Yeah, I think I saw a picture of your cloudberry uh, harvest and it stuck with me for a long time. And I Googled it this morning and I was like, they look like a, like a cloud, like a yellow cloud, right? Or orange cloud? It's like a orange berry, like orangish, yellowish berry that has seeds in it. Uh, kind of like a raspberry, but okay. uh, bigger. Cool. And not nearly as delicious, but don't tell that to a Finnish person. (laughs) They'll be very offended. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to learn about the berries and there's another one, a lindenberry or what was it? Uh, Lingenberry. Lingenberry. Yeah. Uh, That's just like cloudberries or not like cloudberries, but pretty similar to blueberries, just a little bit more sour. Okay. It's funny because you've got the cloudberry season, then you've got the blueberry season, then you've got the lingenberry season. And so like, the joke is, is, you know, in Colorado, you have four seasons here mm-hmm. in uh, Finnish Lapland, which is in the Arctic Circle. We've got 12 seasons easily. Because <laughs> of all berries? Uh, the berries, uh, the fact that in the middle of winter, we have two hours of daylight. And during the summer, we have four months without, the, without seeing stars. Wow. Now that's a talking point right there. How do you... I would freak out. I couldn't even handle a whole long weekend in Seattle. How do you handle the darkness out there? Oh, the darkness is so much better than the summer. At least I get to see the stars. And uh, it's, it's the summer that you're just like, oh, man, this just needs to end. This is getting very old. But it's not like I can change the sun. So you just have to deal with what you have. I guess so. Like, yeah. Do you have like blackout curtains and like eye masks and stuff? Mm, I mean, everybody has thick curtains, but no, we don't. You just kind of adjust to it. But I would say camping is kind of kind of changes the mindset of going out and camping when it's just consistently sunny and there's just a million mosquitoes surrounding you. So you're just like, you know, held hostage in your tent, and you're like, oh man, I just want to go home. I just want to go home. I just want to go home. Yeah. Oh. I don't like mosquitoes at all. No, then don't come to Lapland in June and July, my friend. I don't think I will. <laughs> um, that's kind of like I camp in the winter. There's not really much in the way of bugs. I dig it. No, of course. Oh, uh, Kyle, this has been a lot of fun. Is, is there anything else you want to cover? Mm, well, I could tell you some crazy stories if you'd like. Oh, I got ears and a microphone. I'm ready for them. Uh, one of the more hilarious stories that I have is... Uh, one time I went on a four-day ski trip where we climbed up a mountain off of the road, skied down the backside of it 2,000 vertical meters and skied the surrounding peaks. And we were so happy about it. We had a campfire and I had put my boot liners next to the campfire and fell asleep. The next morning I woke up and I didn't have boot liners. My yeah. boot liners had fallen into the fire and completely dissolved. And... I had to climb 2,000 vertical meters in my snowboard boots with crampons on, uh, side-hilling the whole way back up, and uh, 
snowboarding back down the backside, another like 1,500 vertical meters, 6,000 feet. Um, and basically all I did is I stuck all my down coats inside of the boots and Smart. made the best out of it. Another time, I, I think it was actually a few days later, I went on a seven-day solo ski traverse and left my skins outside of my tent. And the next morning, I woke up and the wind had blown away one of my skins. And so I was stuck in the middle of nowhere by myself with only one skin. Volet straps. Put five volet straps onto my ski that did not have the skin on it. And it created enough traction that I was able to get out. Smart. This is like in a two-week period. It's like, man, I am really trying to kill myself this month. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a uh, lot of things to endure there. Oh, and this is just this is the appetizer, man. <laughs> so many different stories like this, where it's just like, man, I am really trying to kill myself. Like, okay, yep. Wow. On these trips, is it you by yourself, or do you have other people with you? Uh, for the most part, it's with other people, but you know, sometimes people have different schedules and uh, the weather's still good. So I've done quite a few solo ski traverses, but it should be mentioned that they were always areas that I was familiar with, especially in like Mount Rainier National Park. I've been in that area for 150 times, 200 times. And so I was very familiar with the train as long as I get from here to here, I'm totally fine. Mm -hmm. It, it was always whenever I was doing solo ski traverses, it was in terrain that I was 100% familiar with, and the weather was 100% solid, beautiful blue skies. So that all lined up very well. Yeah. I'm gonna. I always carry several volley straps. I'm gonna carry at least five from now on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a minimum of four, just in case both of your skins fail, then you yeah. can put a volley strap on the tip and tail of both of them, and Smart. then you'll to make it in and out so i always carry a minimum of four belay straps that's always been my backpack i like that i think I, I always have at least three hopefully four i'll check my backpack today go with four man because oh, i i own like 20 i should just stick at least at least five of them in there at all times and i rotate through backpacks sometimes and i always double check to make sure the appropriate things are in there well yeah definitely like the toothbrush and the spoon how many times have i left my toothbrush at home Oh yeah. 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 I'm, I'm with you, man. I don't want my gunky teeth. I like my oral hygiene, you know? Yeah. I think it's pretty important or else you mm -hmm. can have a root yeah, canal like I did in Bolivia without any painkillers. Seven days. Most painful experience in my life. Oh yeah. I, I had a friend, Will recently go through a major infection in his, in his mouth and started to go up towards brain and I, just watching his pain. It was, he's good now. He's good now. Um, but yeah, no joke. Oral hygiene. Very important. I had the same story and I was in La Paz, Bolivia by myself and oh. my face swelled up to like a baseball on the side of my face. I had to wear a bandana over my face and try to look threatening in case anybody was going to rob me and shoot me. Right. It was quite the wild experience to say the least. I can't imagine. And you had no painkillers. No. And my tooth shattered so they had to take it out in pieces. Oh man. That's horrible. Oh. <laughs> You, if you want to know what pain is, that's what pain is. That's what, yeah. Man, you're tough, Kyle. <laughs> no, other than your dish story, man. That's horrible, man. No, the dish story was actually pretty entertaining, um, honestly, because not to gross you up, we have dogs. And yeah. they, I was like, 
I didn't want to tell my wife um, that I kept my leg open. So I was trying to like tourniquet it and the dogs are licking all the blood up. And yeah. I'm like, oh, we have white carpet and white walls. And it's just like a murder scene, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I, I didn't want to tell her. I was, I was embarrassed. I was like, you know, um, I messed up. But we go to the, the ER and we went to the wrong ER. It was for vets only. And I get in there and they're like, uh, your, your papers. I'm like, um, I have a, my ID. Like, this isn't a military ID. You got to go. I'm like, but uh, there's a trail of blood behind me. So we stole their wheelchair and went next door. And uh, I'm, I got a really good surgeon and a really attractive nurse um, who wanted to be going to practice surgery. So she offered to sew me up for three or four hours and became good friends. Um, oh, nice. really well. And the EMTs are so fun. They have a great sense of humor. And uh, it all worked out, you know, like your situation. Makes you appreciate and makes for a fun story. But uh, yeah, dogs drinking blood and then, oh, to clean the carpets. We had to find somebody who would uh, take the job. People are like, this is a crime scene. I'm like, no, no, it's not a crime scene. Uh, trust me. Who died here? Who died yeah, who here? Died here? <laughs> it's an active crime scene. I you're lying to me. Who died? Yeah, we found this couple that uh, did it in their uh, off day for cash. Uh, they did a pretty good job. But yeah. Do what you got to do. Like I don't see blood streaks on your wall, so <laughs> yeah, cash doesn't bounce. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, you definitely need to write a book because your stories are awesome. Oh well, thank you very much, man. And uh, like, if you have any questions, I'm I'm all ears, man. I'm more than happy if you have any more questions of any sort. Oh, I, I'll talk your off. I mean, oh. from a, from a fitness, from a navigation, from a gear standpoint, I, I'm. A lot of our listeners are, you know, it's the Engearment podcast and we do gear reviews, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Gosh, there's a lot of questions I have. Uh, what, what kind of stove would you carry for your trips? MSR Reactor. It's the best. You may disagree with me on this, but it is the fastest in melting snow. Like, okay, it's not good at like cooking meals or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like, if you want to melt your snow down as fast as possible, or if you're like me and you need coffee as fast as humanly possible, mm-hmm. um, the our reactor is bar none the best uh, stove that I've ever come across. And I've been using them exclusively for mm, 10 years. All right. Perfect. No, I wouldn't disagree with you at all. Um, I think it's more important to be able to melt water or melt snow and get water than rehydrate mm-hmm. meals with that than it is to cook up food. Yeah, I that's can- uh, oh, sorry. That's something that's always in my backpack is my MSR reactor, uh, just in case I need uh, water or if I get pinned down overnight that I can make something warm. Smart. Yeah. And then your dehydrated meals, are they store-bought or do you make your own like soups and lentils? Or? Mm, they were Mountain House for a long time. They used, Mountain House used to do pro forms for athletes, but I don't think mm-hmm. they do them anymore. And so now I need to persuade my wife that I really do need a food dehydrator. Yeah. Um, yeah. We just but, got one. I, I don't know how to use it, but I, I got it for that reason. I'm like, I, I train a lot of bow hunters. And so okay. um, when things go well, which is not very frequent because bow hunting is very hard, um, I get meat and I want to make some, some jerky. Yeah, yeah, of course. And then, I yeah. just turn it on, man. I could be wrong, but I think those food dehydrators, you just turn them on and they magically <laughs> dehydrate everything. You're probably right, Kyle. I probably should just read the box and be like, all right, apply whoa, heat. Whoa, whoa. We've gone too far with reading instructions. That's what yeah, I That's right. I, I don't do words, man. I do jump in the fire. You know? Yeah. Like, see I if mean, it works. Just check it out on YouTube, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there's an idea for YouTube channel. 
Yeah. Your first video. <laughs> and you, he's a dehydrated food. Turn the machine on. Yeah. <laughs> when you Follow know it's done. <laughs> when it's smoking. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so stove, that's very good. Very good tip. Uh, five, at least five volet straps. Super simple. Duct tape, very simple. 40 liter backpack. And then um, in your repair kit. What goes in your repair kit? Mm, once again, it's mainly, uh, I'll always bring extra screws. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have a screwdriver as well. And then usually I'll bring a small bale of wire, just in case. Wire? Because, yeah, because sometimes you have to just connect things back together. It hasn't happened to me too often, but like a long time ago, I went on a ski traverse with a brand new set of bindings. I was like, oh man, these are going to these are gonna work amazing. Mm-hmm. I lost the toe cap, the ankle strap broke out, all the screws fell out, and uh, it came down to uh, like, are these bindings gonna hold up long enough for me to get out of the backcountry? Wow. Once again, seven day solo trip. Seven day solo trip, wow. Mm-hmm. What kind of wire are you talking about? Cause I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I'm gonna go get it right now. Mm, like chicken wire. Chicken wire, okay. Ooh. It doesn't really weigh anything, and uh, if duct tape doesn't take care of it, then chicken wire will. <laughs> My father's redneck, uh, a good one. Uh, he has all his teeth. I'm going to use that line on him next time, because you know the line about duct tape, right? But chicken What's wire, that? that's the first I've heard of that. Uh, if you can't duck it, then F it. Okay, yeah. 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 So chicken okay. wire is, replaces the F now to chicken wire. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like and that. like, say, for instance... Uh, duct tape so if you're on a ski traverse and all of a sudden you start getting a rash on your leg Mm -hmm. like rash you just put duct tape over it like once it starts because if you don't take care of it then it's going to get 10 times worse and could make it so that you can't even move so i would say if you start feeling pain in your feet duct tape over it immediately that's genius i didn't think about that but that's good stuff um what about tenacious tape for repairing a jacket or a tent Mm, usually I just put duct tape over it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I like that. Less is more. Those are good. Yeah. Or else if they get too bad, I have to retire them because it's not like body odor so bad. Oh yeah. Mm. I wash my gear a lot. I stink. So I have a my, lot wife, of wash. my wife feels your pain. Call <laughs> 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 you, your gears home, put it in the back. Oh, exactly. <laughs> My gear closet and my gear garage are just, it's not public accessible. It's just a way, which is yeah. where it should be. Um, first aid kit. What goes in your like typical first aid kit or you carry anything extra? Uh, well, my first aid kit is pretty simple. Um, once again, all my straps in case of a tourniquet of some sort, um, draws mm-hmm. pad. I also am a firm believer in what is it? The Delorum in reach. Oh yeah, got one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because just communication. When I got married to my wife, she's like, "It would be nice if I knew where you were." So I was like, "Okay, it's Christmas. We'll get me a delorme in reach, and then you can just see where I am." And you know, when you're on a two-week-long ski traverse, and hopefully you don't get internet, then mm-hmm. you can have somebody tell you what the weather forecast is. Uh, yes. Friend introduced me to it when we were on a two-week trip in New Zealand, and. Uh, I mean, without knowing the forecast, we would have just been sitting in the hut the whole time, absolutely terrified to go outside because weather can change in like 10 minutes. And oh. it just 
one cloud to make things super dangerous. That makes sense. You know, um, to your point, I have an inReach as well and, and a baby stick in a spot. I don't like the spot very much. Um, mm-hmm. Back in July, my friend Rafael Peace was down in Chile on the oh. first ascent for a volcano. And I get an inReach message like 2 a.m. Sean, what is the wind speed and temperature in Fahrenheit at this elevation? So, yeah, I'm like, all right, I got you, buddy. Send it yeah, back yeah. to his inReach. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah, and they it worked out well, right? Knowing the weather was crucial. They summited. Life's good. But in uh, for sure. One time I had a spot locator when I was down in Bolivia mm-hmm. and it accidentally went off in my backpack and uh, the Bolivian military called my mom to uh, let them know that they were about ready to go searching for me. And I just happened to be on Facebook that day and my mom's like, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, what do you mean? What's going on? It had accidentally triggered while I was traveling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't use a spot anymore either. Like, the last thing you want is the Bolivian military looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they did your jaw and your teeth, but it wouldn't let the military deal with you. Mm, no. You're like, how much money do you have? Nothing. Oh, we'll just let you die in the mountains. Then. Exactly. Take my spot, please. <laughs> All right. So first aid kit, um, no additional medications or like water purification tablets or SRAM splints or anything like that. Um, well, being in the Cascades, we'd always have so much, uh, water from snowmelt. So I actually was very fortunate that I've never actually purified water and I've actually never gotten sick. Now, if I was hiking during the summer and I knew there was a trail above me, Mm -hmm. I would not get water from that area. But, uh, I always made sure that I was in a location where there was, for the most part, no activity above or around me. So just straight out of the creek. I like that. That's really cool. And then usually we take like a Vicodin or two with us just in mm-hmm. case. Not saying that we're just popping Vicodin and hanging out at a tent site. I've but, done you know, that before. But. I'm not going to say I haven't done that before, but <laughs> the meaning for it is just in case something goes bad. I'm with you. I, I carry uh, some Tramadol, right? So oh. a step down from Vicodin, but no um, acetaminophen in case that wouldn't bother somebody's liver. So I carry caffeine. Um, probably some benzos of some sort and tramadol. Just no, a bonus in my kit. Oh, definitely. It's a good kit. Um, some kind of fire starter, I'm assuming. Lighter, matches. Mm, usually like two lighters for the most part. Cool. And, uh, yeah, that's... I mean, yeah, usually with two lighters and an MSR reactor, you can start a fire on pretty much anything. Nice. A good call. And then um, layers. So, um, yeah, I like layers. Okay, man. Well, this is a very, it matters where you are is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember, so what I like to do is like wear like a uh, loft layer, like a synthetic down, mm-hmm. and then like a really thin shell on top of that. And uh, the thing is, is that the more layers you have, then you can mix and match in certain, uh, you know, it's super hot out, then just throw the shell. It's super cold out, but you're going to get wet, then you go with the pre-lock. Okay, say it's really good weather, then now I can switch over to down and a shell on top of that. If I'm at a ski resort, then I'll wear a thicker coat, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, it's much better to have 
more layers so that you can adjust as you go on because you know you'll start off a skin track wearing three coats and then quite quickly you'll be wishing that you just had a shell on so yeah. you can just take off those layers put them in your backpack and then i always carry a down coat in a dry bag in my backpack and that's just like my emergency situation like as i've started ski touring more i've always kept an emergency down coat and base layers in my backpack and that's just in case i get pinned down and i have to stay the night over somewhere i remember one time i got stuck um, with a friend we climbed the south face of a mountain and we had to ski down the opposite side because it was way too steep and it was way too firm and so we skied down the other side and we had to stay overnight in the mountain this valley and i had a huge down coat he didn't and just shivering all night while i'm wearing this huge down coat i thought i was gonna get killed in the middle of the night like, i'm so glad i brought this coat like yeah so sorry you didn't bring additional coat and ever since then i've always been like i'd much rather have additional space of uh clothing compared to almost anything else that's really good advice it makes me feel better i, I always carry um about eight ounces of down fill and it weighs about one pound and I always have it in this compression sack at the very bottom of my backpack. Haven't had to use it, you know, yeah. but it's nice to have it there. Uh, keep it in a dry bag, man. Just in case. More Good idea. It's, it's not a dry bag. I'm going to yeah. do that immediately. Seriously, dry bags are a solid investment. Dry bags and compression bags. Yep. And I've got a boatload down in my gear closet. So I'll, I'm going to take your advice and do that immediately. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. would probably save my bacon. You can tell that I'm American because I say, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then it's like, give me this, give me that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, it's kind of funny. I grew up in the, in the Midwest and uh, we're overly nice there as well. Yeah. People are like, stop being nice. I'm like, okay, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm be sorry nice. about being so nice. I'll stop it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> stop saying sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's just That's what tough. we do, right? It's such an American thing. Yeah. Maybe Canadian too, but definitely. Oh, Canadians. Can, oh, I like the Canadians a lot. I got arrested going into Canada when I was 19. They were the nicest jail I've ever been in. It was a good experience. Oh, we got you some coffee, eh? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, this really, really nice bailiff. Uh, she gave me a, a blizzard with a Canadian. I'm trying to see if I have it on my desk. Usually I do. Not today, I guess. A Canadian pin, like the flag, in the tail of the lizard and give me her phone number. And she's like, don't think lesser of us Canadians, eh? <laughs> thanks <laughs> yeah, BC's pretty that's like I was in New Zealand got a speeding ticket they're like oh we don't want to ruin your vacation we're so sorry that we're giving you this speeding ticket don't think wrongly of us and I'm like oh man how did I get busted for speeding on the one road that's straight in this damn country <laughs> uh, nice people are great yeah, um, um, oh jackets um, what kind of hard shell like you um, Hard shell, soft shell, Cortex, Event. Other. Mm, I'm a big fan of Events. I really do yeah. like got really good breathability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig uh, Event too. Yeah, but it matters, you know. Like, say if I'm in a place that's just snowing and absolutely nuking, then I'll wear like an Event coat. But uh, you know, if it's super nice weather out and everything's good, I'll just wear a rain fly. I mean, it's just enough to break the wind, and it mm-hmm. absolutely weighs nothing. 
and it's not too much of a concern. Say if I get thinned down, then I just put on all my down coats and perfectly fine. But so it's always mix and match for the weather conditions that you're dealing with. I dig that for sure. Uh, what about goggles? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I always have destroyed goggles. And so like for a long time, I was wearing Smith goggles and they were very nice. But I highly recommend, there's a company out of Japan that makes, it's called Swan Goggles. And they're really cool because you know how, I think Jubo has the thing where you can send your lens out a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, well, this company Swan is the original creator of that. And it's got these amazing tabs that you just like take the tabs and just, and then you've got that ventilation in there. And so you could totally ski tour and wear goggles the whole entire time. Let's say if you're on a glacier, like you just wear those and then just open it up a little bit. You know, if you're in Japan and it's absolutely nuking snow and you're in a condola, all you gotta do is flick, flick, and then you're not gonna get that condensation moisture inside of them. They're That's awesome. The amazing goggles, and I highly recommend them. I had not heard about them. I'll reach out to them. Oh, I, I do work a lot with Jolbo, and I have a pair of the ones you mentioned where you, the lenses pop out, the aerospace or whatever they're called in it circulates and that's nice but if swan's the og i'll hit those yeah. i mean it's asian fit i'm not racist when i say it's asian fit <laughs> yeah, but uh, it does fit a little bit interesting but super high quality goggles i highly recommend checking them out they're Sweet. well worth it cool i'll look into those guys swan goggle yeah. what about um sunglasses uh, for the past few years i've just been going off of gas station sunglasses <laughs> i like that i've just beaten sunglasses up so much and uh i was using smith uh sunglasses for a long time but uh i didn't have sponsorships through them so it was you know do i spend the 150 dollars on sunglasses or is that one fourth of my plane ticket and uh so yeah usually just like ten dollar gas station sunglasses absolutely look ridiculous but they work you could pull it off. You're Kyle Miller. Oh, man. Uh, one time I had some, once again, another story. I apologize. Uh, doing a 18-day ski traverse, and I was on glaciers, and my sunglasses lens cracked in the middle of it. So for the first day or two, I was like, okay, you just deal with the crack. And then I started getting, like, glass shards in my eye. And I was like, okay, I need to do something about this immediately. And so I took glue that I found in the hut and smeared it on the cracked areas of the sunglasses. I'm like, okay, now I can only see out of one eye, but it's better than seeing out of neither of my eyes. Wow. Oh, stupid stories, man. That's mind boggling. Oh. You're just hanging out on a big old 18-day uh, thing with glass in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Adventure. You just got to work with what you have, man, because it is what it is. Yeah, it makes you really appreciate having uh, good optics, being able to see. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, sunscreen. What do you do for sunscreen? Oh, let's see. Um, it's kind of a nostalgia thing, but I actually use Hawaiian Tropic just because it has, <laughs> smells absolutely amazing. Yeah. But, um, now, like, say, for instance... In New Zealand, they have a really bad UV problem. Mm -hmm. So people there have a real big issue with skin cancer. So I was, I was wearing a uh, 
like a buff over my face and then just a beanie and then you know goggles my swan goggles on top of that because it never really exposed my face but i really hate putting sunscreen on my forehead because once you start sweating then you get sunscreen in your eyes and it's always on the sketchiest part of the climb that oh, yeah. sunscreen starts burning in your eyes yeah. but uh also the trick that i've learned is you take chopstick and you put it over your eyebrows and then it makes the sweat move off to the sides. This is gold, man. Chapstick on the eyebrows. Yeah. I mean, you look ridiculous when you're doing it, but you look ridiculous most of the time anyway, so just go with it. Yeah, totally. And you can see. You don't, you don't have the sunscreen in your eyeballs. Yeah, that's kind of nice when you're crossing the crevasse. Yeah, safety yeah. first. Yeah. <laughs> These are gold nuggets, man. This is super mm. helpful stuff. These are the random things that I've learned over my time in the mountains. Your extensive time in the mountains. Mm, yeah. Wow. This is this has been mind opening. I've got I've got two pages of notes and then Evernote going. I'm gonna have a lot of notes for this episode, Kyle. This is great. Well, all of them are tried and tested. That's right. <laughs> Kyle Miller approved. <laughs> I'm not lying about these things. No, I believe you. I, a lot of them help validate my um, neuroses and overpacking. Yeah. And um, a lot of them are new to me, which is great. Well, um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, Kyle. I mean, I've learned a lot from this conversation oh. and I learned a lot from you prior to this conversation. Um, really just appreciate you as a person. Oh, well, thank you very much, man. My, my pleasure. Thank you for your time today. And um, I'd love to do this with you in the future again, because I'm going to have more questions, lots more questions. Absolutely. Line them up, man. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I'm in Arctic Finland and we've got two and a half hours of daylight, so I'm home quite often. Excellent. Well, stay tuned. I'd love to have you on next month or so. And um, I'm actually writing a uh, follow-up to the Splitboard book I wrote. And uh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to put you in the book and share your experiences. Wow. Oh, it'd be an honor to be involved in any way, in any way that I can help people. Wow. Then it would be an absolute blessing. If I could help one person, then I've done well in my life. That's always been my mindset. I love that. And I, I really agree with that. I mean, I know I'll go on the record saying that I deal with a lot of adversity as far as like, I put a lot of content out and a lot of it is well received, but I'd say probably 10 to 15% is not well received and you get weird comments and it can really, I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I'm trying to take it personally, you know? So um, I guess where I'm going with that is like, like you said, I will deal with that 15% of BS if it helps one person. Right. So I respect that about you. Oh, well, thank you very much, man. Hell yeah. Well, let's change the world, Kyle. You're, uh, you're liberated, man. You have a lot to share, and I'm honored to help you in any way possible. I'll help you, uh, you know, with YouTube and anything else I can do to help out and share your messages and share your love with the mountains, with the people. Oh, well, thank you very much. And once again, it's an honor to be involved in any way that I can. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you very much. Well, I'll let you enjoy the rest of your evening and I'll sign off for the podcast. And um, we're going to be in touch really soon again about this stuff, Kyle. Well, thank you yeah, for being on the show. Back to the biathlons with my wife. Woo. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. That was Kyle Miller, living legend. Um, such a good guy. Thank you for your time. Chainthingamer.com podcast. I love you for listening. Until next time, take care. Bye.